Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today on the show, we have Joe Fury, the president of Michael Graves Architecture and Design. With over 350 buildings and 300 industry awards under their belt, Michael Graves is considered one of the leading design practices in the world. Joe has over 30 years of experience in the AC industry, leading business operations, M&A, strategic and financial planning, as well as succession planning. Joe is also a producer and partner of the American Building Podcast, which is a real estate podcast that shares the stories behind one-of-a-kind buildings as told by the designers and developers who built them. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited. Yes. Joe, when we started this whole process, this whole podcast process, you were, I don't know, one of the first people we talked to and we like immediately we knew, oh, this is, this, there's something here. Like architects, they have a story to tell and like, Joe, you, you have a good one. So uh, we're really, really excited about it. Full disclosure, I'm not an architect, uh, as you know, right? Yes, I'm, a, yes, yes. I'm, a, I'm an accountant, um, CPA, non-practicing, uh, which finds me in a unique position in this industry. And many of the architects I work with, and we'll talk more about you know, our strategy, they actually like that because um, I guess we just, our brains are different and they, the artist side of uh, the way they function doesn't reconcile well with the business side for a lot of them. Some are very good business people, but it, it opens up an opportunity for somebody like me to be in a position of leadership in a firm with such history and a brand like ours, unlike many other industries. I think we have to be like that, that, that expert who's practicing in the, uh, in the field. So it's, it's unique and it's fun and it's cool. Yeah, I love the balance. That's obviously part of the secret sauce there. So, and we'll learn more about it today. So, So, Joe, why don't you tell us, how did you, tell us a little bit about Michael Graves, how the company built, and then how, how did you join up? You know, what, what happened? So Michael started the firm in 1964. He was hired at Princeton University to teach architecture. And one of the requirements was that he live in town. So at the time, I believe he lived in, in New York and then moved out to Princeton, start teaching and then started the firm. And early on, the firm grew through some competitions that, that led to bigger projects. And um, from there, really took off as Michael's fame picked up. Then I, I was working for a big publicly traded um, out IT services company and was traveling all over the place as my children were little. And I, I sought out a CFO job for a small privately held company in Princeton. And the recruiter said, how many of those do you think exist? And the next thing you know, he asked me if I knew who Michael Graves was. And I said, no. And um, I learned quickly. And uh, I think it was three Wednesdays in a row of interviews and and then I came here. That was in early 2008. And what did you join as? What did it bring you in as? CFO. And I quickly realized, I would think I went to go brief Michael on something. I said, well, you know, here are the numbers and here's, you know, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And he says, what are you asking me for? That's what I hired you to do. <laughs> so I, I quickly realized I had some more um, responsibilities and things that had to happen. 
which was perfectly fine. Okay. So, but you're CEO now and not everyone knows what that story is. Why don't you give us a brief of kind of what happened in between 2008 and where you're at now? So I think many people know that Michael was paralyzed in 2002 or three, I believe. And um, I joined in 08. Michael passed away in 2015. Between 8 and 15, um, I had spent a lot of time working on the succession planning. So negotiating the operating agreement, you know, the, the buyout of Michael eventually, um, and setting up all of that corporate structure. And um, a year or two after he passed away, so in 2017 or so, I was in discussions with the partners here of coming in with equity, got a financial investor behind me to do that. And I think we inked the deal in 2018. And that was the whole idea on that is that, you know, I would focus on the business, <laughs> clearly not on architecture and, uh, you know, let them focus on architecture and really get the synergies of those skill sets coming together. And um, that's sort of where that went. So Michael Graves built up the firm. And to my understanding, he was kind of the rainmaker. Tell us about kind of your company culture at the time and then your succession planning. Like what kind of prompted that and, you know, kind of what was happening there? Yeah. So Michael, very famous, one of the most famous architects of our time. Um, and I always use the example of being in the White House with presidents from Reagan all the way through Obama, although I don't know that he was actually with President Obama in the White House, but President Obama appointed him to the access board. So there was some connection there. Not many people play in those circles. And when you do, like you're you're out there at the highest level and, and you're a rainmaker. When Michael got paralyzed, though, the transition of delivering the work actually started. And, and really even before that, I mean, the team here, the principals were designing projects and, you know, Michael would lend his, you know, opinions to it and his, his ideas to it, but it wasn't as if Michael was designing every single building, right? I mean, we had a great team here and that's the one thing like, you know, Michael designed great buildings and designed a great company with hiring talented people here. So that operational or delivery transition was happening, unfortunately, because of Michael's health condition. But then, you know, with him as a rainmaker, that transition of, of how to get work, I think really was, that was lagging behind. And it was eye-opening for me very early on, I would say within the first two or three months here, when I got my hands around all the numbers and I had a partner meeting and projected out like 18 months of revenue. And you could see the line starting to drop 12, 14, 16 months out and say, well, what are we doing today? on a new business focus to pick that line up 12, 14, 18 months out. And the response I got was the phone always rings and it will. And I said, Oh boy. Right. And it did though. That's the thing, right? It did always ring. And that's how the business operated. But you know, I, Michael was getting on in age and there was a transition happening and um, I realized it, it had to change to more of a proactive relationship-based focus coupled with 
the skill that worked here and the great portfolio of projects and the expertise that we bring and packaging all that up with a little bit of a different approach, you know, proactive, getting to know people and um, networking and, and things like that. So that was a, a big push over the years to, to switch that. And, and, you know, that, that gets into what we'll talk about a little bit later, the, the M&A strategy and how we're going to continue to evolve the business underneath this incredible brand. Wow. So that must have been super challenging, you know, especially since Michael was kind of leading a lot of those relationships. So how do you cultivate relationships without Michael leading the way? How did you make that transition? It's a team effort. It's not just one person. Everybody becomes an advocate for the firm. Anybody can make a connection and, and bring in or you know create a relationship that potentially leads to an opportunity and a design project and um, empowering our staff at all levels to not only to take on more in terms of the design work and learn along the way right and, and grow but to also be out there publicly now speaking engagements and you know networking events and and all of those things you know, the other thing is, is then, you know, outreach or social media presence. You know, if I go back several years ago, we didn't really have a presence. And, you know, I was fortunate to get involved in some business groups and learn some stuff. Remember, I'm coming from the, the seat of a finance person, right? And I never liked being that, you know, green eye shade accountant, you know, pointing to the scoreboard saying you lost, right? You know, here's the numbers last month. What good is that? Let's see what we can do proactively looking forward. And so, I, you know, I learned some things and I'm older, so I'm not like a, a millennial with the technology and the social media, but we put a big push on that because I knew we needed to. And um, this was a couple years ago, and we went from literally 200 eyeballs in our reach on LinkedIn to we eclipsed a million when we started, you know, focusing on it. But then we had some couple cool posts that went viral and, and really expanded our reach that way. So, you know, it's a, it's a package of, of all those things. And then, you know, we'll, building out our industry verticals with subject matter expertise. So there's great design, but then there's the expertise of knowing, you know, if you're a medical facility, understanding what the doctors and the nurses need. It's not just designing a pretty building, it's how the building functions. And that's always been in our DNA, starting from Michael. So designs cater to and be focused on the people using the space or the product in the products building, uh, business, I should say. So you've got, I mean, there's definitely strategy going here. There's, I see a lot of gears turning and, you know, especially since you're not of the traditional architect mind where I'm an architect, I've went, I stayed at a firm. Okay. Now I'm going to break off and do my own thing. Really your journey has been way different than most. It started similar to, but now you're for all intents and purposes, you're sort of second generation for Michael Graves. Would that third, be fair to say? I, I can say third. And certainly some of my design partners are, would be third. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about M&A strategy and being used to help further your succession strategy. Can you talk a little bit about that? What, what, what does that mean? You know, and, and, and what are you doing? Yeah. So with us being a design firm, you know, starting with, with Michael, you know, we, you know, he used to have a saying like, what's your favorite project? And he would always say the next one. You know, because and they, you know, we could go from doing a car museum to a St. Regis to schools to workplace to 
church. It was like the next opportunity. So we weren't organized by industry sector. We had this great brand and I always say our strength is our weakness. We design in all these different building types, but we don't do 40 of these, 50 of these, 20 of these. Like the reason I made the personal investment in this firm is because I, I believed in the talent here, the legacy, the brand, you know, the, just the history, the, the, the prior projects and our ability to deliver great work going forward. But I recognize the strength is a weakness. Our strength, we design all these different building types. Our weaknesses, we're not doing dozens of them. So how do we remedy that, right? Well, we could go chase work and hire six people at a time. And, you know, that's the hamster in the wheel. It's working hard, really hard just to get tired and try to build something. Or we could say, let's find a great firm with great people that have more depth and subject matter experts in the verticals we serve and possibly some that we really don't work in too much and find those firms, put a deal together and start to build the company out that way. And we, then we get the step function growth and we get that industry expertise. We get geographic diversity and reach and um, we are well on our way. We've probably spoken to 50 or 60 different companies. I've been down the road fairly deep in conversation with several, uh, but we are at the literally at the goal line where the two companies have come together already. Uh, we're waiting to dot some I's and cross some T's. And uh, in January, we'll, we'll be announcing uh, that first acquisition. And I have a second right behind it a smaller one, um, but it fits one of those verticals nicely on the second one. And uh, like we're excited. And the firm was, firms we're talking to are super excited. Uh, one of them, the second one, we actually work with on a couple jobs. So we know each other already. That's the key thing is, is um, like you could look at portfolios and say it's a match. You can look at numbers and run math in a pro forma and say, this pencils, it's a great deal. But at the end of the day, if the people can't trust each other and work well with each other and like each other, it's not going to work. So um, that's where a lot of time is spent. And, you know, you figure that stuff out when you're negotiating. How is this person when we're negotiating? And, you know, is it a pain in the neck or is it, a give and take and an easy conversation. And those are the tells for me anyway. So uh -oh. getting, getting those people, right. So, so, and obviously this is happening. I mean, it's essentially it's happened, right. You know, there's, there's some logistics that need to be finished out, but how does that blend to work? You know, like you, you obviously, you know, the people you're negotiating with and they seem to be good in this particular deal, right. How do you blend everybody? I mean, you have great people at Michael Graves, as, as you've said. So how do you blend them, these great people, with the uh, assuming other great people at this other other company? It's uh, constant communication. And, you know, what I didn't say before, the fit of what we do well and what the other company does well. I want to find firms where the things we don't do well, they do really well. And expressing that to them along the way in the process, not only with the principals as I'm negotiating with them, but when we, when I eventually got to the point where I met the entire team and spoke to that entire team a couple of months ago, I said exactly that. Like you guys do things really well, things we don't do well, and you're going to make us better. And they're looking at it. Many of these firms, I mean, it's not my name on the firm. It's Michael Graves. Um, and I'm not an architect. So I can say it humbly, like we have a great brand and it resonates well. When we're talking to other firms, they, they say, wow, we get to become a part of you. That's going to be good. And the business synergy that comes with that, like, you know, 
coupling the, our brand with their expertise and client list, right? You put those things together and, and you, you really got a formula for success. So what I think, you know, in talking to the people and putting them together, it's not like we're swallowing up this company and now you're us and here's your new ID and, you know, forget everything you used to do. We do it our way. It's, <laughs> it's not that, right? It's, it's, we, I'm doing it because I see a strength. We do a SWOT analysis and I see strengths and weaknesses in our business. And we're looking to combat our weaknesses by bringing in, you know, others who help, you know, offset those and bring other things to the table. And um, that's the the formula for success. And the other thing is with the first one is uh, they're in the Maryland DC market. We have a DC office. So uh, we're going to be combining the DC office. So already we'll have people from both companies sitting together in the same location. And I, obviously I'll be back and forth and and we're working. We already won two projects together with this firm already. So (laughs) congratulations. That's super awesome. That's amazing. Uh, So obviously what you're doing, kind of the vision behind it is working. So for all intents and purposes, pardon the pun, you're building scale, You're, (laughs) you're building and buying scale. So why not go the more, what some people would call a natural route and grow organically? Why go the, the M&A route? Two reasons. Um, one is finding skill set that we don't have that makes us better. Going to go hire a person here, a person there to bring that in. And it's just too slow of a, of a, of a pace. Additionally, I would say we're still transitioning from the Michael Graves Starkitect model to the seller-doer, uh, subject matter expert, relationship-based approach to doing business. So this accelerates that. And then, you know, finally, like just organic growth is it's slow and you do the acquisitions with the right people. It's not one plus one. It's one plus one equals three because our business, their business is the one plus one equals two. The synergies that you get out of that get you to that next level. And that's where it's scale on the top line. But as we climb this and we do, if we do it right, the profit levels should increase, right? And therefore increase in the valuation of the overall business. And I will say, I'm like I said, a finance guy. I don't pencil these deals by saying we're going to put two companies together and we're going to fire the admin and the accounting per like that's not what makes the deal. I don't even build those numbers into the pro forma. This is not the way I'm focused on uh, on growing this. There's cutting costs that way to finance a deal and make it work. There's many approaches that that work that way, but uh, I just think there's there's so much opportunity on the top line by putting the companies together. So that's our focus. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of focus on people culture, even when you're looking at M&A, both internally as well as externally. With Michael Graves kind of being the symbol of that culture, what type of like leadership was he and has that changed any since Michael Graves passed? I mean, what does it look like now? Yeah. So when Michael was here, you know, I mean, we were set up by studio, you know, by that time. And I wasn't here when he was, you know, before his paralysis, when he was, I'll say, far more active. We we had the product side of the business, which is an ongoing, just different ownership there. Um, See, Michael played a, a role, a very active role in that when I had gotten here because Target was ending, JCPenney was starting, and some of the other ones were starting. Um, so Michael was heavy, you know, on that side as well as some of the architecture. But from what I understand is when he was younger and, and, and active, you know, he would set up the studios and it was, they would say it's more of an academic approach where he would do design 
crits and um you know go from project to project studio to studio and um, offer some suggestions and maybe some projects he took more of a of a heavy hand in than others but he was very active and and set it up with that very competitive studio environment and you know today you know not to sound like an architect but if i'm quoting you know robert blazer one of our, one of our partners you know he said he likes to say you know design as a conversation right so it's not like dictated it's collaborative not only with our team internally but with our clients right so explore this option and that option and have a discussion and what do you like what do you don't like and and bring a project to life very early i've done i've gone on some pitches with robert and we just won a small project but a very cool one up in north jersey and in, in marstown and just, it's fun watching them you know he never had to go out and sell right until recently as we're shifting this model but now you know he's out there and he's talking architecture with potential clients and um, it's fun to watch because they he gets them right in and you know and brings them into the process it's not like a stay on your side i'm the designer and i'm going to design your building and you're going to take it and like it we, we and there are you know architects that are like that and what that's not what, what what our business is about we are very collaborative with our clients and and you know michael that i think is part of our philosophy is you know the the buildings and the spaces we design are there f- for the people using the spaces working in them living in them learning in them playing in them Right. And the same thing with the products, using the consumer products that um, our firms designed over the years. So the culture that you've created or, you know, that uh, was created under Michael Graves, and then you've been kind of, I'd say, modifying it. Would that be a fair word? Evolving. Evolving. Yeah. So how are you passing that culture down? Right. Because you were talking about the millennials. Right. And they know nothing. Have some of them never met Michael Graves? Yes, there are people here now that have not met Michael. That's, yep, there's a few younger people that were hired just towards the end. You know, in fact, I had a, a, and I'll talk, bring me back to the culture. I just want to tell you a story about younger people working here. When we were approaching the 50th anniversary of the firm a few years ago, I guess it would have been in 2014, we had a big exhibit at the Grounds for Sculpture near Princeton. And Michael and I were sitting in the conference room talking about something. I said, wouldn't it be cool if 50 years from now, people are celebrating the hundredth year of the firm and maybe the guy we just hired, you know, he's right out of school, you know, he'll be 72 or whatever, 75. Maybe he still works here. Maybe he doesn't. Most of, we're going to be dead. <laughs> you know, most people are going to be long gone. Right. But wouldn't it be really cool if we set this thing up? In 50 years from now, they're celebrating 100 years of Michael Graves. And he smiled and said, make it happen. Right? So his ego, you know, was not after me, this company can just go away. He wanted this company to, to go on. And, and we remember, you know, in our strategic plan, there's a page of a, that has a picture of Michael and a quote from him. And, and you know, it's very early in the strategic plan. And, and that page will never leave that document whether it's five years from now, 10 years from now, because that's who we are. That's our brand. He's that's our brand. Right. And and we're going to stay true to the brand as we grow. Wow. That's a salute to planning. I mean, that's a huge amount of planning and, and foresight. Good for him. Good for all of you. Uh, I love hearing that stuff. You know, in the culture um, with the, you know, bringing the younger people in, we, you know, you could look, you want to look at it from a business standpoint, you want the pyramid of, of people and salary, right. But the, the more, 
younger people who you pay less, right? Your financials work better, but more to the point, you know, getting these younger people that we have on staff active and involved, the, the sooner we get them into a project doing something they're not comfortable with and letting them make a mistake, the quicker they grow and become more of an asset to the company. And we encourage that. And, you know, sometimes like I just literally had a conversation the other day, small project with, with Robert saying, let's get the younger people in to do this project. Cause it's so small. It has to happen in a tight fee. And we know what the solution is. Let somebody else younger work and learn from it and think about what that's going to do for them for a bigger, more complicated project down the road, because they've already now got some experience they might not have had here, much less anywhere else. So we're better when we set our team up to take stuff on and learn quicker. Sounds like a culture that many people would be uh, jealous of. It's a rarity, you know, allowing for mistakes. I hear it all the time. And Sounds like your people, there's a reason why people want to stay because they're allowed yeah. to grow and stretch. Yeah, uh, and I, I had a boss at, at the company I worked at before, Michael Graves, um, who I forget the exact quote she said, but let them fail. Like, you know, your team, like, put them out there, give them put something over their head and let them fail quickly, right? And then pull it back and then they've just learned a life lesson and they're never going to make that mistake again. And it didn't break anything, right? Because you're watching. And, and that's... Not, I don't think that's human nature for most people in business, right? It's more of control, you know, make sure everything's perfect, which we want, right? But the company doesn't have the ability to grow and scale if there's one person controlling or, you know, a handful of people controlling everything. So if I understand correctly, you're giving power really to even the newest and youngest of people in order to be able to look into the future and go, hey, we're building them up. They're the ones that are going to be the next generation of leaders. Am I hearing yeah. properly there? Yeah. I mean, if we're not grooming our young staff, well, number one, why would they want to work here for the long run, right? If they're just cogs in the wheel, whatever the saying is, right? If, if we're not setting them up to grow, there's not much in it for them. And there's not much in it for us as a business, right? We always have to evolve and, you know, people get older, people retire. So you got to have that, that next, I think of it in terms of a, sports team, you know, all the time, right? I mean, every year, the NFL, they're drafting somebody's replacement every year and it creates a competitive environment. That's more cutthroat than this is, right? Because we, we're we not limited to a 53-man roster. We can grow the business and have more people, but, that you know, that's you always want to keep bringing in talent and giving them opportunities to succeed. And in order to do that, they got to learn and make some mistakes along the way. Um, you know, and the, the technology side of it is, is an example We've made some, you know, some investments a couple of years ago in technology. And I laugh I'm talking to some of the younger people about that. And I said, like, what do you need? I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Uh, tell me what you need, how much is it going to cost? And tell me what benefit it's going to bring to the business. And um, so we made some investments along the way. And, I, you know, it was just sort of blind faith um, from my standpoint, because were they buying toys? Are they playing around? Or is this really going to help the business? And and it's in the, the VR and some of the other technologies for basically bringing the projects to life early. And um, some of the benefits are, you know, I've always said our renderings, and this goes back since I came here, our renderings look like the building turned out. We must have really good rendering artists. And then as I got to know our company, I would say, well, no, it was really our designers spend so much time thinking and planning up front 
that the early concepts of the buildings end up looking like what it's going to look like because they thought it through. It wasn't like, let's put a box together and we'll figure it out as we go. And this changes, that changes. It's thought of, it's thought out uh, very carefully up front and it's coupled with the rendering artists. And, and so, but we made an investment in, in that group and they use different software, the game engine and things to, to bring these renderings powerful, really fast to life, but also videos. So we get, like a 3D walkthrough of a space we designed in early concept and, you know, to the level of detail of finishes and molding and flooring, like real details. And that's helpful because the designers can make changes before, you know, is a, is a real cost impact and our clients can see what's coming. And um, it just, it brings the, the project visually to life very early. So you can make some decisions. The other is, you know, the clash detection uh, there was one story of a beam coming through the middle of the, the room and, you know, without, you know, Revit and, you know, and some of the other tools like back in, that would have been an in the field potentially error that would have had to be remedied, you know, way too late and where it costs a lot of money. So, um, and they put the, the 3D goggles. That was like, I think that's where they caught that one. They were sort of like walking the, the space with the goggles on. It's like, oh, watch your head. You're going to hit that beam. Let's get that out of there. We had a miscoordination with the structural engineer and us. And and uh, so it's it's a cool tool. It's it's And clients like it too because they get to see their space, you know, in, in virtual reality beforehand. So it's fun, but it's also a, a real good tool to help the design process. If it's not mean- helping the design process, it's a... <laughs> You mean you don't want to hit your head in the middle of the conference room? Like that's not yeah. we're, we're trying to build those sectors. <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously you don't know the tech, don't need to know the tech because you've got good people, right? Yeah. So you have good people that are saying, this is the tech we need to one, make sure you're putting beams in the middle of a conference room. And two, we're going to, it's going to be such a better experience for our clients. Like they're going to have such a, a better experience, which obviously when they have that experience, either they come back to you or obviously they only speak the highly of you in the greatest way. Right. Exactly. And, and it's true. When you get to be my age, it's true. Like, I don't know this stuff. Right. I mean, there's another, I think of like the parents, our music stunk, their music was great. And, you know, our music's great. It's the same thing with the technology. This the older you get, you, you know, you, maybe there's some people that really get into it. I know what I am. I know what I'm not, but I always say I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. And you gotta, I know we hire great people. We have great people working here. We want to trust them, empower them, make them part of the process, the solutions and, um, take a chance, spend a little bit of money and, and get some return on it. And we've gotten well beyond the return on that investment so far. So it's paid so, off. So what you're telling me is that your investment in technology has become a competitive advantage. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that the industry is, some of the industry has to catch up. There, you know, there's big players in the industry that are, you know, right there with us, if not, maybe could be even further ahead if they got the resources to do that. But it's been a game changer for us in evolving how we deliver our work. And, and, um, and I do think we're ahead of many of our competitors. I don't like to say anything negative about anybody or our competitors because this is one of the most collaborative industries. It's, it's crazy. Our, you know, we, we partner with so many other architecture firms on the same projects and then other projects we're competing against them. And uh, how many industries do you really see that in? But yeah, I think it's been a, it's certainly been a game changer for us in expressing our work to our clients. It really, I mean, some of these things we've 
sold, you know, as, as services. So the client can use it for marketing and, you know, for their needs. And that's why I say the return on investments there, but it's fun for the staff to use these tools to make their jobs easier. And, um, it's a little more exciting than, I mean, can, can you imagine, you know, that versus just, you know, and everything just in AutoCAD, right? And uh, it's fun for them. So, and it's, if it's helping the business, then great. Like I said, if it's, if it's driving revenue or, or uh, driving customer satisfaction, then it's, then it's worth it. If, if it's helping the design process, then it's worth it. If it's not any of those things, then it's a toy. <laughs> if they're just using it to play ping pong and virtual right. reality, I don't know if right. this investment makes right. the most sense, but. No, my twelve, my twelve-year-old was here in the in the tech room with the goggles on, you know, and that. So I'm like, wait, what did, I, what did we just buy here? What's going on in here? Well, so that uh, that was going to be my question. You know, how do you know, right? If you don't have an understanding of the technology, how do you know it's not a toy that it actually is an investment? Because you just gave us the three uh, three places where it matters the most. So how do you know when you let's say don't have an understanding of the technology? It's, you know, you're an accountant. You're by trade, you're not an architect, you're definitely not a technologist. So how do you know when to make that appropriate? And obviously, technology enthusiasts, right, they'll go, we need this thing. But mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that the company needs it. How do you make that decision? You know, how did you make that decision? So some of the people are not architects, right? They're the, the tech people. Some of them are the architects saying, I need this to do my job better. And I trust them. You know, I mean, obviously I'm going to ask questions and, and I, but the proof was two things really with the proof was how quickly and how, how much better the end product was in terms of the renderings and the videos for sure. So how quick that turnaround was, but then the fees, the, the clients were asking for it and paying for it on top of the this architectural design work. So what better proof is there than that? Right. <laughs> and if it works, got then it works. <laughs> And you got some side benefit as well. Virtual rework is a little easier to do than physical rework. Well, absolutely. <laughs> but not only for us, right? Like, so we're, you know, we're pennies on the dollar in terms of a development project. So if we have a mistake, all right, guys, put a hundred more hours towards it, fix it. But if it's too late and it's a steel's been manufactured, fabricated already, right? And, and that has to get reworked. The further along from design into construction, the mistake costs a lot more in construction than it does in design. So it's really important that we spend a lot of time in our process to make sure we're delivering first-class drawings. And this is a tool that just helps. If it helps get one mistake out, then it's, it's worth it. Joe, thank you for sharing. You've had some awesome insight. Thank you for all the insight that you, uh, about Michael Graves, uh, about the company, about your culture, technology, and your M&A uh, strategies. Is there anything that you want to tell the world, anything you want to shout out before we end today? Uh, well, we're proud of our brand. We love our clients. Our, we love our people. And we are very excited about our path forward in 2022 and the companies that are going to be joining us and growing with us. And we're going to keep it going over the next five years to 10 years and be a force, a force um, in the industry more than we are right now. And if people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach out? My contacts on the website, as well as my partners. So www.michaelgraves.com. Awesome. Just Google Michael Graves. It comes to the website and then team. Great. 
Well, even thank you very class, much, Joe. Joe. Yeah, oh. seriously. Thank you guys. It was fun. Looking forward to the next one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, You'll 100%. Be back for sure. Perfect. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.